hope you and yours have a most joyous season. Is the season to be salty? Hello and welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, we've done Halloween. Yeah. We talked a little yep. bit of food surrounding Thanksgiving. So there's only one thing left to do in 2020. It is time to get festive once again. We are going to be talking the best Disney holiday movie. That's our new bracket this week. Yep. We have the gift of Disney Plus. And mm. so we had the opportunity to dive headfirst into tons of Disney holiday things. Honestly, I don't remember doing this last year. I think Disney Plus was still so fresh that I was still like super stoked I could watch Dumbo. So like that was what I was doing last December. <laughs> Specifically <laughs> like, Dumbo. <laughs> so I didn't really get as into Christmas last year when Disney Plus first came out, but I got really into it this year. So excited to help us talk about all these holiday movies. We brought one of my best friends from college, Macaulay. What's going on, Macaulay? Hi, Chris. Hi, Kyle. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to talk about probably my two favorite things, which are Disney and Christmas. Yeah, so uh, Macaulay, we have quite the Disney friendship. We went to the parks together probably two or three times, mm-hmm. had a great time. And Kyle, I'm not sure you know this, but me and Macaulay were both in the film major together, yeah. and we took almost every single class together. Oh, that's awesome. We did. <laughs> Including a fairy tales class, Ooh. which was um, surprisingly not super fun. There was only was like misleading. one Disney movie. Yeah, it was misleading. You would think that fairy tales was going to be everything Disney, and instead it was things. I, I mean, Little Otik. That's the one that always Little Otik. Yeah, Bluebeard, Lottie mm-hmm. Reiniger, Shadow Animations. Yeah, mm-hmm. just so much stuff you never would have known about. Nope. Um, so Macaulay, you have a couple of nephews, so. What's your Disney fandom like these days? Oh, yes. Um, it has been really fun, especially I have a two-year-old nephew. And because of the pandemic, my sister and her husband and my nephew moved into my parents' house, which is where I am currently, um, and stayed here while my parents helped out watching him and stuff like that. Um, and while he was supposed to go to Disneyland for his birthday, and of course could not, um, I decided to do a research. Uh, I looked up on YouTube, you know, when people have their point of views of the rides and mm-hmm. would pretend to go on the rides with him. Um, <laughs> and that's about as close as we can get right now. So I love introducing him to Disney. I've been to Disneyland with my nieces and nephews before. 
Um, I grew up in Southern California. And so going to Disneyland was just the most magical day. Um, I do have siblings who are a little bit older than me. So it was just fun, like fun family memories getting to go there. And my parents would always surprise us like the day of, of how they told us we were going to go. Uh, it was like a scavenger hunt one morning. Uh, there was like <laughs> a Mickey's face, like drawn in lipstick on my sister's bathroom. But, uh, you know, I think when you're a kid, when you're a teenager, when you're an adult, like it's just such a magical place. And I can't wait to go back again, you know, one day. One day. This is Disney parents goals. Right here. <laughs> For real. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. Okay, well, before we talk about holiday movies, we got to talk about our spoonfuls of sugar that are going to keep us warm during this episode. Kyle, what are you drinking tonight? Oh, and I am I'm staying warm, Chris. I took a a, a little bite out of your playbook uh, from, I believe, last episode, maybe the episode before that. I don't know. These days just kind of blur together. I went ahead and I also uh, have a little hot buttered rum. I decided to, to make the buttered rum batter myself and yeah it was a lot more i mean it's not a lot of work it's a lot of ingredients and a lot of time uh and it makes up to 48 servings of uh (laughs) buttered rum uh batter and it's because you only use like three bar spoons of the batter for each one but listen to the ingredients and it's going to scare everyone off from <laughs> wanting to make this batter because it's disgusting. Um, so it's a bunch of spices, cinnamon, nutmeg, black pa- uh, pepper, cloves, allspice. And then it is two cups of butter that you melt Whoa. down. <laughs> and then it is four cups of brown sugar. <laughs> oh my God. And it makes like two like mason jars full of this batter that you can keep until the expiration date of the butter itself. So like can have it for quite a while, just refrigerate it. And I'm actually, I'm making use of this like spoonful of sugar mug for like hot drinks, which I haven't done in the history of this podcast. So it's like kind of nice that this mug works. It's it's nice. (laughs) It's warm and it's delicious. Chris, what you got this week? All these holiday movies got me in my feelings about homecomings, so I got myself one of my tastes of home, and that is the Mother Earth Brewing Company's Cali Creamin. Oh, yep. It's a classic. I think it's been on this podcast before. I think someone else might have brought it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But it's delicious as always. So, Macaulay, what have you got? Yes, so for my first time on the podcast, I wanted my spoonful of sugar to be definitely a nod to Disneyland. So I made a dull whip with a little kick. Oh. Um, pretty easy. Not as many ingredients as yours, Kyle, but uh, it's literally <laughs> just like pineapple, pineapple juice, ice, and vodka. <laughs> <laughs> vodka. Let's go. Yeah. I was like, oh. I didn't have any. I didn't have any rum. I was gonna. I was <laughs> like, oh, it's pr- another rum drink, and no vodka. <laughs> but also, vodka is my go-to, so that's gonna be the the ingredient of choice. That's fair. In Russia, the dole whips you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right, Chris, we have our spoonful of sugars in hand. And this is kind of a timely recording because uh, as we do this, uh, the investors meeting just happened with Disney uh, a couple days ago. And so this is all very new to us. Disney announced all of the content that is going to be available in the next 
three years, essentially. Uh, they teased some of their new animated features, some new Pixar stuff. They, <laughs> It was a head-spinning day. There were obviously a ton of people that were talking about this on social, right? I mean, it owned the conversation for a Friday evening. And like working in the world of social, to get people's attentions on Friday evenings and afternoons is such a difficult task. But this day was such a big day for Disney and they announced so much that it was hard to not pay attention to it. Like we just said, they announced Star Wars stuff. They announced a ton of new Marvel stuff. They announced a bunch of FX stuff. This was all for anyone who watches anything, <laughs> right? Like there's probably something that piqued your interest and so they own the day. So around that, it was really easy to find a demographic to survey for the best holiday movies. And this week's is people who were unhealthily hyped at, in at Disney Plus's mentions uh, during Investor Day. So every time like a new, every time Disney Plus would tweet, which was actually, I think, like they did it a lot more tastefully than the Disney account, which was just threading up the entire <laughs> thing. And it was just like, I can't even refresh this. Anyways, uh people would respond to the to every announcement with just how excited they are. Listen, there's this is so much content to consume. Like there's no way any of us are watching all of it. And so people were like way too hyped for it, but it made it easy to pick them out for this demographic. My favorite gif that was the recurring gif in the Star Wars replies was the Kylo Ren saying more. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I I hit him with a little Babu Frick love, of course, because uh <laughs> He's the greatest Star Wars character. But Chris, they gave us 16 great holiday movies. But of course, there's a lot more than that. And so if you missed the dance, uh, what were a couple movies for you? Well, Kyle, believe it or not, I felt like the roster of Disney Christmas or Disney holiday movies was a little bit short hmm. for me. So there weren't a whole lot that I was like, whoa, I can't believe that one did not make it in our field of 16. One that I just kind of like came across at some point during the fall is The 12 Dates of Christmas starring Amy Smart. It's like a freeform original movie or something like that. It's basically Groundhog Day meets Christmas. Um, I had really high expectations for it because I love a good puzzle film movie, which is what it is. The premise is like this woman goes on a first date, it goes wrong, and then she wakes up and has to relive the first date. Again, 12 different times, 12 dates of Christmas. But uh, it ended up being just really sloppy and didn't make a whole lot of sense. So I was kind of disappointed in it. There was a fair share of goofy moments in it, but uh, would not recommend. Also, I was anticipating some trolls to say the original Star Wars Christmas special, which was uh, Chewbacca coming home to celebrate Life Day. <laughs> It's terrible, but you know people like to troll by saying that it's the greatest thing ever created. Kyle, what are a couple miss the dance for you? Yeah, the first one for me is Toy Story. It's not necessarily a Christmas movie, but it ends with a lovely Christmas scene. Uh, it has a lot of themes of kind of family and just because you're not uh, the same as those around you, that doesn't mean they can't be your family as well. And I feel like that's a lot of Christmas themes in general with a lot of these movies. So, you know, it's a stretch, but I'm going to consider Toy Story a Christmas movie. And the other one is the prep and landing shorts. They're the, the elves that help deliver uh, gifts. And these were like shorts that would show on ABC 
uh, in the early 2010s, I believe. And they're just fun. They're just fun holiday shorts. They're the nice ones that are easy to consume. Throw it on to kick off your holiday season. So yeah, those are a few Miss the Dance for me. Macaulay, what about for you? Uh, Prep and Landing's up there to me uh, for me too. Um, yeah. I definitely thought that one would be on the list. I also thought that Mickey's Christmas Carol was going to be on there. Um, yeah. I think Goofy as Jacob Marley. Like I always have that image, that memory in my head. Um, so kind of sad about that one. Um, and then it's weird because going uh, through the list, I feel like a lot of Disney Christmas uh, things I associate with, I think of as actually Disney Channel Christmas episodes. So one that is iconic to me is Lizzie McGuire, uh, when Aaron Carter uh, says, Merry Christmas, Lizzie McGuire, under yes. the mistletoe, and she gets a kiss from Aaron Carter. So, I mean, it's not a movie, obviously, but uh, but I always think of that. <laughs> Shout out to some Lizzie McGuire and Aaron <laughs> Carter. Let's go. Yeah. I cannot wait to talk about some of this stuff, talk about what defines a holiday movie, all of that stuff. Before we go any further, we need to announce our field of 16 but before we can do that, we got to cue that dramatic music. Kyle, take us away. Falling off the roof and into your heart is the number one seed, the Santa Claus. It ain't easy being mean. Coming in at number two, the Muppet Christmas Carol. Jack Skelly is back on another bracket. Coming in at the number three seed is Nightmare Before Christmas. Presents every day. Hustling its way into the number four spot is Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. At the number five spot, it's Jim Carrey playing basically every important role in A Christmas Carol. New timeline, who dis? Coming in at number six is Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. Coming in scorching hot to the number seven seed from Phoenix, Arizona is Noel. When a scavenger hunt goes horribly wrong, marching into the number eight spot is Nutcracker and the Four Realms. Packaged up at the number nine seed is Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. Swipe right for Santa, our number 10 seed is the Santa Claus 2. Establishing itself as an anti-feminist movie at the number 11 seed is Babes in Toyland. Santa better have my honey. Dripping into the number 12 spot is Winnie the Pooh, A Very Merry Pooh Year. Snow in LA is more believable than the performances in our number 13 seed, The Ultimate Christmas Present. The third time is not the charm. Coming in at number 14 is The Santa Claus 3. Traveling cross country to our number 15 seed is I'll Be Home for Christmas. House party protocol in the city where the heat is on all night on the Norco till the break of dawn. Rounding out the bracket is our number 16 seed, Iron Man 3. Oh, we got some Marvel in a Christmas bracket. Can't wait. Macaulay, how do you feel about these 16 Disney holiday movies? Um, I think they were all very, well, I wouldn't say all very enjoyable to watch. <laughs> um, I take that back right away. Um, some definitely were a little better than others. Um, I think you have like the Santa Claus, which is just such a fun original that I think of when I think of a Disney Christmas movie. Um, uh, you know, the cartoons, uh, Mickey Once Upon a Christmas, Twice Upon a Christmas, a lot of also, uh, ones that I had never seen before. So it was very enjoyable to, to you know, expand my Disney holiday horizon. Yeah, 
something I noticed about all of these and most of the Disney holiday movies out there is they are all Christmas movies. So if you're someone who (laughs) celebrates any other holiday during this time of year, you are probably not going to be included in a lot of these stories that are being told by Disney. We kind of uh, researched it in advance a few weeks ago, and there's a Kwanzaa episode of The Proud Family Mm -hmm. and a Hanukkah episode of Even Stevens. But other than that, I couldn't really find a whole lot on those other two holidays. No, hopefully that's a trend that will change with Disney and and how they've been going down this road of furthering the representation in their films. So hopefully we'll see a little bit more love. But Chris, let's let's get into it. Let's start with the first matchup. It is the number one seed, the Santa Claus versus number 16, Iron Man 3. All right. So elephant in the room. There's a Marvel movie on this bracket and it's Iron Man 3. (laughs) (laughs) I would be surprised that this made our field of 16, but I actually am not because somewhere around October, I started searching in the Disney Plus app the word Christmas and Iron Man 3 kept coming up in the search results. And I was like, Disney Plus, your algorithm's broken, man. Like, why is Iron Man 3 in here? And like, I don't know anything about Marvel. I've never seen Iron Man 3. So I thought it was just like a bug or something until uh, I looked a little bit deeper into like the plot synopsis on Wikipedia. And this movie takes place at Christmas. Yes, very much so. So I was really excited to watch it and like find out like what's going on in here. Some context. I have never seen a Marvel movie besides both Guardians of the Galaxy's movies and uh, Age of Ultron a really long time ago and Infinity War a really long time ago. Oh, and Captain America Civil War a really long time ago, so I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> I was pre- I was prepared to be totally confused by Iron Man 3, like, in every way. But, y'all, I really enjoyed watching this movie as a movie. As sure. a Christmas movie or as a holiday movie, let's talk about that. Because I don't want to get into, like, all of the specifics of this movie because we'll save it for a Marvel bracket or something like that. Uh, but let's talk about, like, what makes a holiday movie or a Christmas movie... A Christmas movie. I was literally going to say there's a difference between a Christmas movie and a movie that is set around the Christmas time. And I feel like that this movie is the perfect example of a movie that is set around Christmas. And I'm same as you. I don't really follow the Marvel universe, um, but I enjoyed it. I think that there were a lot of really funny moments. Um, the action was incredible. The acting like, you know, that cast is just amazing. But uh when I think of a Christmas movie, I think of Santa or presents or snow or something. Um, and this just didn't really have that much about it. That's that's 100% true. So if we're talking about like the actual references to Christmas in Iron Man 3, I pulled the ones I could remember. We got Tony buying Miss Potts a huge stuffed rabbit, mm-hmm. which that's a funny gag, I guess. Uh, Tony makes some grenades out of Christmas ornaments which I really enjoy. Tony plays some Christmas music in his lab at the beginning of the movie. Uh, He like drops the needle on the turntable. Uh, There's a bunch of Christmas decorations at the bar he's at in Tennessee. And Mm -hmm. a guy in a Santa hat gets yeeted out of Air Force One. (laughs) Completely yeeted. (laughs) Um, So like, yeah, if those things weren't included in the movie, it wouldn't probably feel very Christmassy. Here's the thing. 
I will compare this to one of my favorite non-Disney Christmas movies, and that's Just Friends, starring Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> and there are a lot of Christmas movies that kind of follow a similar situation where someone comes home for Christmas, and they have to somehow like reflect upon themselves. Um, and it's about someone kind of like rediscovering who they are. And I think that's an experience a lot of people feel during the holiday season. They go back home, they sleep in their childhood bedroom, and they kind of feel these feelings that maybe they haven't felt since childhood or like since last Christmas. And Tony Stark begins this movie in like a really, really sad, depressed, anxious state coming off of his battle in New York. I guess. I don't know what happened at that battle, but apparently it was crazy. And so uh, he's got a lot of issues and he doesn't really know where to go next. So to get to where he's going, he ends up back in Tennessee, middle of nowhere, having to kind of like rediscover himself. And this little kid Harley helps him do that. And he's like, you're a mechanic. And like when he says that, Tony Stark, it like clicks that like that's his true identity. He goes into uh, the Mandarin hideout in Miami with his little Christmas ornament grenades and like his little glove that's made out of like stuff you find at a hardware store. And he goes Iron Man on him without a suit. So to me, like that discovery of himself and his identity is really kind of makes this feel like it has a Christmas theme to it. Uh, so I don't think it's so much of a stretch to call it a Christmas movie. So one of the writers, Shane Black, said that that kid, Harley Keener, was a ghost of Christmas past for Tony Stark. And like I 100% agree with that because in A Christmas Carol, which we'll talk about a couple of times in this bracket, the ghost of Christmas past like takes Scrooge back to be like, this is what you used to be like. Like, this is what your world was. Uh, Look at all of this, like, hopefulness you had when you were a little kid. And that's what Harley does for Tony Stark. So I 100% agree with that interpretation from the writer. And then I feel like I needed to uh, hear that from the writer in order to understand that, though. I feel like that didn't really come across for me. <laughs> I mean, it's a work of art. It's an interpretation. <laughs> um, this is all 100% a stretch, but it's a long way of me saying, if you think Iron Man 3 is a Christmas movie, you go, because it can be. Mm -hmm. And yeah. honestly, kind of like what we talked about with the Halloween movies, anything is a holiday movie if you make it a holiday movie. If it's part of your holiday tradition, go for it. Yeah. Like Mary Poppins is one of those movies that's like, it feels good to watch during the holiday season. Don't know why, but it doesn't have anything to do with Christmas, but... If that's what you do, that's what you do. Um, it's going up against Santa Claus, which is one of the greatest films ever made. So Santa Claus advances <laughs> past Iron Man 3. But I wanted to give Iron Man 3 some credit. I think it being on the bracket isn't super crazy. Yeah. I, early on in this pandemic, I think, who knows, time's irrelevant, but I watched all of the Marvel movies in like chronological order of events in the movies. And when I got to Iron Man 3, <laughs> the first thing I did was tweet out, is Iron Man 3 a Christmas movie? <laughs> because I was like, this is a Christmas movie. Um, yeah, you you nailed it. It's up against the Santa Claus. I don't really want to spend more time talking about either one of those. Save it, Santa Claus, for next round. Macaulay, any thoughts here? I completely agree. I think Santa Claus 
is the obvious one to advance. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it in the next round. All right, let's talk about the next matchup. It's number eight, the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. First, number nine, Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. Uh, I had never seen Nutcracker in the Four Realms. I remember when it came out, and I remember being interested in it because it was a completely different take on the Nutcracker, and I like those kind of things. I like that sort of like here's a concept, let's go in a different direction with it. And so I was excited to, you know, watch it. And then reviews came out and just completely crushed it. And I was like, ah, well, I don't really want to spend money to go be disappointed by this. So I'll just wait. Um, So this was a perfect bracket to, you know, launch me into the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Uh, Obviously, this movie has big Narnia vibes, like huge <laughs> Narnia vibes. Uh, which is also like not one of those that takes place. Maybe it does. I don't know. I haven't seen Narnia in a long time, but doesn't necessarily take place during the holidays. But you, that feels like a holiday movie, especially Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Like that feels very holiday to me for some reason. Um, this is that vibe, but it is the holidays. <laughs> um, so it was an interesting take. I mean, like essentially the the four realms is this distant, land in which our main character i okay i didn't take any notes on characters names because i'm trash mostly because when i watch these movies i'm afraid that if i like spend too much time taking notes that i will not even watch the movie so i was like using my phone to take notes and so i it was it's mostly just thoughts but whatever who cares this is nutcracker bro do you not know the nutcracker no i don't watch the nutcracker (laughs) ever oh so (laughs) great usually (laughs) all right so clara's uh exploring this new realm that you know her mom essentially was like a leader of once upon a time and no longer like her mom passed away and she's learning all about who her mom was in the in this distant realm and uh elizabeth swan is the sugar plum fairy and she's out here just like causing chaos and it was so obvious that she was gonna turn like that was the most frustrating thing was like everything was just so obvious about this movie. Um, it felt like they were trying to capture, speaking of Elizabeth Swan, the like the the magic of um, Curse of the Black Pearl in the characters that they had in this movie. So like the two guards in the Pirates films uh, that like stop uh, Jack Sparrow from taking the ship and it's this whole comical bit and then they turn into... Davy Jones crew and when uh, Beckett takes over the ships later on in the movies the two guards at the at the realm castle that was uh, obviously modeled after like you know Moscow and and that's just a nod to the fact that this is a Russian play ballet but uh, they were t- it almost felt like they had this idea for this comic relief and then just like didn't lean into it like you saw them they had a bit and then like we don't see them again until closer to the end. And then they have like a bit and then that was it. It's like, why even develop these characters? Why develop a lot of these characters? A lot of these characters were just like two lines and then they're gone, which made it really difficult to keep track of like what was even happening. Um, It felt like they had a great idea that they didn't build a strong enough story around to me. Uh, And that was my same criticism of the live action Mulan was like 
they didn't do enough of like character development. I didn't feel like I knew anybody in the Nutcracker. I didn't really sympathize with anybody in the Nutcracker because it was like they were trying to do like we need an epic battle and we need these quirky characters and we need this like beautiful palace in this like mystical, mythical land. And then the story just like fell apart as it went. So it was really disappointing to me. Um, but what I will give it props for is the movie score. They did an incredible job of weaving in the actual ballet and the musical themes from the ballet into like this quote unquote epic movie score. There is a lot of influences from the ballet itself in the score. And as we all know, I love movie scores and I love like I think it's a great score. Um, and also the, like, the end credits was better than the entire movie, like watching the dancers like perform at the end uh, while the credits rolled was like way more fulfilling than any part of this movie. Um, this is also the first instance of a uh, of somebody either being enlarged or shrunk on this bracket, and that, that <laughs> tends to be a theme that is carried through. Uh, and this is also our first uh, giant toy soldier appearance, so there's oh, that yeah, as baby. well. Uh, it's it's silly. The movie is silly. Uh, and then across from it is Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. Uh, they said full send on computer graphics uh, characters. They were just like, ah, the, it's almost there. <laughs> just do it. Just post it. Just go. Just go. <laughs> just like we almost have the technology. So let's just do it. Um, this is our first instance on this bracket that we'll talk about anyways of Disney kind of packaging vignettes and, and making it a holiday movie. So we see it a few more times uh on this bracket but this is the first one so it's these little holiday stories you you have uh, Minnie and Daisy in this like ice skate battle you have the nephews Huey doing Louie causing mischief in almost a similar fashion as they do in the first uh once and once upon a Christmas Mickey's once upon a Christmas um you have Goofy and Max so we're back with a little bit of uh, uh goofy movie vibes like big time goofy movie vibes in that vignette um, and then like Pluto gets kicked out of his house and it's just, and Donald orchestrates a, a choir. It's, there's a lot of different vignettes happening. Unfortunately, I kind of wish that they just stayed with like the rules of three and just did three very well. And then like, let me out of this movie. Uh, but there were like five or six. And so as each one came up, I was like, oh. We got to like <laughs> follow another story. I'm not even going to be able to remember these stories for the podcast if they give me another storyline. Uh, and that's literally what happened. I don't really remember anything that really happened in this movie. Uh, I don't care for either of these, uh, but I probably will watch Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas again in like my holiday rotation, but I probably will never revisit Nutcracker in the Four Realms. And like just based on that bias alone, I'm going to move Mickey's past. So I wrote down all of the vignettes in Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. So allow me to refresh y'all's memories. Please. The first one is a figure skate battle between Daisy and Minnie. They're basically just super mad at each other. And they're like having a skate off. With the Fantasia characters. That's right. Yeah. So someone does a flip, which is definitely not allowed in figure skating. <laughs> And then they have, like, an entire company of hippos on the ice, which, like, I don't need to tell you what happens when you get, like, 20 hippos on the ice. 
it, it breaks. <laughs> and then they start flying. It's just like, once it started with that, I was like, there's no way this can get any better. Um, and it and it doesn't. The next bit is like Huey, Dewey, and Louie in the North Pole. Yeah. Uh, and they basically are just punking Santa Claus to try and get themselves on the nice list. Mm-hmm. Um, and they destroy a bunch of jailbreak Bob toys, which is like the most <laughs> random thing ever. Uh. Um, there's a the Goofy bit that you were referencing where Max brings a girl from school home with him to meet Goofy. And it's like a song. There's a song that's pretty brutal. And I think the girl uh, likes Goofy right. more than she likes Max. <laughs> the next bit is Donald at the mall. Just, just a giant like chase scene. It's like your Saturday morning cartoon type thing. Um, and then you've got a Mickey and Pluto vignette where Mickey gets super mad at Pluto and yells at him because he like destroyed the Christmas decorations. And then Pluto pulls a Michael Scott and hops on a train and like just rides it to the end of the line, which is the North Pole. <laughs> the only thing I really enjoyed about Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas was A, the sleigh crash of 64, which they reference a couple of times in it. Twice, like, yes. What is yeah. the sleigh crash of 64? I like, tried to it look was, it up. It was like a an offhanded, or it was kind of like a throwaway line in the first sketch or the second sketch and then like they bring it up again with the reindeer they're like we said we never talk about that again yeah, that's right <laughs> um that was like kind of an adult joke i think uh and then just like the way that donner or maybe it's comet the, whoever's like the lead reindeer in the last bit um i thought they were pretty funny um i think there was also a reference to pixar the name of the mall is saint knickknacks yeah mm-hmm. it has to be a pixar reference totally um Ultimately, Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas is terrible, and I would never, ever revisit it in a million bajillion years. Has absolutely no redeeming qualities for me. Nutcracker in the Four Realms is also garbage. My theory on this movie is, like you said, they were trying to create like a Narnia style. Every Christmas, there's a new Nutcracker movie, and like everyone loves it, and they're trying to like take this little ballet and like blow out the story to have this like epic series like lord of the rings but it's the nutcracker so it it held my attention i watched mickey's twice upon a christmas on an airplane and it still couldn't keep my attention i was like looking at the back of the seat in front of me instead of watching mickey's twice upon a christmas the the music is good in nutcracker also we got to give a shout out to misty copeland who Mm -hmm. does a little ballet sequence during the credits of nutcracker she's one of the ballet goats I think I would watch the Nutcracker before I watch Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. So I'm advancing Nutcracker, which means Macaulay is going to break her first tie. Yes. Okay. So a couple thoughts on both first. So with Twice Upon a Christmas, fun fact, it was released 10 years after Once Upon a Christmas. So already I was like, oh my gosh, we have some some promise here. Um, But I was like waiting to see when the next one was going to come on. I really had a tough time getting through them. I think that with the Mickey one, like all Pluto wanted to do was help. And he's a dog. <laughs> like, why yeah. are you going to get so mad at him? Like uh, Mickey, that's a different light for me. Um, with <laughs> Nutcracker, um, it was beautifully done. I think that like the first 15 minutes, especially for me, like the sweeping shots of London, the music, the costumes, I was like really into it, very whimsical. 
Um, a couple like, you know, questions I had, like when the mom did say, like, it reminds me of a land I discovered as a little girl, like, why didn't Claire say like, what are you talking about? Or like, (laughs) you know, follow through on that question. Um, (laughs) Kira Knightley's voice in it. I love Kira Knightley. I love this one. She's moaning Myrtle in it. Like it sounded, it's her voice was just like a little off for me. And I just had such a tough time taking her seriously. Um, That being said, I am such a big fan of the Nutcracker. My family usually sees it like the ballet every year uh, because of the music, because of the design and the costumes. I'm going to have to give it to Nutcracker. All right. So Nutcracker and the Four Realms is dancing to face the Santa Claus, the round of eight. (laughs) So let's move on to our next matchup. It's number four, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas versus number 13, The Ultimate Christmas Present. I do not know which one to start out with. Let's start with Ultimate Christmas Present because I feel like that's the one we got to talk about. Gosh. For lack of a better word, it is a disaster of a movie. Um, yes. So it's got uh, Spencer Breslin in it, who not until we did this bracket did I put him with Abigail Breslin as siblings. I don't know why it took me so really? long. Really? They are both in the Santa Claus 3, and I still didn't put them together. (laughs) Okay. Uh, It's also got little little baby Brenda Song, who does a great job, just a great actress. Okay, so if you've never seen Ultimate Christmas Present, it is a Disney Channel original movie, so that should already tell you something. (laughs) The production quality on this is going to be low. And essentially, Santa apparently has a summer cabin in L.A. A little girl steals a weather-making device out of Santa's trash can, uses it to cause a massive snowstorm in L.A. because she wants to have a day off from school, but it almost ruins Christmas because it can't get it to stop snowing. McCullough, you're a resident of L.A. What would happen if there was a crazy snowstorm in L.A.? Well, you know what's funny is that, like, I remember watching this when it was on Disney Channel, and I was just like those kids. I was like, if there could be a snow day, like a white Christmas in L.A., that would be the best day ever. I mean, no one would know what to do because when it rains, people in L.A. don't know how to drive. So it's like it would just totally mess up everything. Um, So I understand what they were going for. But what was really confusing for me is that when Santa throws away the time weather machine, whatever, she then like picks it up and takes it and then just presses it and it turns on. And I'm like, wait, but you didn't fix anything. You didn't do anything. So how did you get it to work? So already a little bit of a plot hole for me. (laughs) (laughs) My question is, Santa at the end says, I made that contraption so that I could give everyone the ultimate Christmas present, the gift of a gentle falling white snow (laughs) so everyone would slow down and remember the reason for the season. And I'm like, all right, so why'd you put an earthquake button in there, buddy? (laughs) Why did you put natural disaster as an option on your snowmaking machine? Like, I'm not so sure you're not just a supervillain trying to take over the world. Yeah, for real. For real. I also love the guy in the snowmobile. Like, what man in L.A. owns a snowmobile? He lives in, like, the valley, and it started snowing. He was like, this is it. This is my moment. Get out the snowmobile. Um, There are just so many, like, little just weird things about this movie. I don't really like this depiction of Santa Claus, personally. He's kind of, like, not jolly, and he's got kind of, like, a shorter beard, a shorter haircut. Um... He's got a couple of like just 
I guess weird is probably the best word for it, moments. One of those being when he says, you are number 263 on my Los Angeles naughty girl list. Um, <laughs> I probably would have rewritten that line if I was the writer of this script. Also, like at the very end, Santa and Mrs. Claus are watching the family from like a TV monitor. So like, is Santa supposed to be like surveying us at all times? Like 1984 Santa Claus? I guess so. Pretty sketchy. Pretty sketchy, <laughs> Santa. Um, basically, this movie is really boring. I mean, that's all I can say. Uh, this did not hold my attention very well. I didn't care about any of the characters. We also had these two elf guys that I got Twitch's vibes from. Those like weird uh, magic user like sidekicks in that movie. Just like spending too much time with them. Not very funny. It's going up against Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Much, much more than Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. We only had three vignettes this time. We had a duck family vignette um, where Huey, Dewey, and Louie wish it was Christmas every single day. And guess what? Their wish comes true, and it is Christmas every day. And it turns out being not so fun after all. Mm -hmm. You've got another goofy bit uh, where he's basically like trying to convince Max there is a Santa Claus. I did not have a great relationship with Santa because I was super scared of him. Like, I don't know if y'all seen the village where like the families like get in the cellar when the others like come through the village. Like that was me on Christmas Eve when I was like, my mom was like, okay, go to bed. And I was like, lock both doors leading into my bedroom, like cover my ears. I didn't want to hear reindeer on the roofs or like a man coming down my chimney. I was like, mm -mm. nope, no, thank you. Uh, not to mention Santa never got me the best gifts. It was always like the fourth or fifth best <laughs> gifts that came from Santa. Uh, my parents always had the hookup with the good ones. Which is how it should um, be though. You know what I mean? Like give credit sure, where credit yeah. is due for these. Sure, yeah. sure. Santa's not up there making Nintendo 64s, man. <laughs> Mom and dad are working hard for those. There's also a, a Mickey vignette at the end, which is like awesome. Mickey and Minnie are like dirt poor. And I love seeing these like sacred Disney characters in that setting. Yeah. Um, this one is really enjoyable for me. I would like to break it down next round because I am definitely advancing it over uh, Ultimate Christmas Present. Ultimate Christmas Present is awful. <laughs> I, I could not. They like from production quality, which is obviously with the DCOM. And we talked all about DCOMs and what makes a DCOM a DCOM. But uh, this one, like they had a looping soundtrack that transitioned like every plot point they would like transition out with the same sound bite the same like uh a riff and it was so annoying <laughs> it was awful uh the two elves okay first one is four-time nba champion john selly like and he was in this like tv hollywood mode during this time probably actually at the very tail end of it uh when this movie came out so it wasn't super surprising to see him in there but we have the return of the mummy from under wraps no our boy way! patrick scar is sparky the elf yeah that Let's was him go. so i for whatever reason this guy keeps showing up on these podcasts and it's just so <laughs> funny uh so yeah the uh from from the music to how it's shot to the snow effects to the ear tips on the elves, everything was awful. To the fact that school got out at four p.m. 
for those oh, kids? To- yeah, yeah. What? I mean, In- <laughs> what? what? I don't are you doing. Come I don't on. think also, that's legal. <laughs> I don't think it's legal. And then also, uh, this is the first appearance of the the little kid from the like Santa Claus two and three. And he's real awful in this. Um, he plays like Conrad in Cat in the Hat. He, the you know best, him from a bunch of the best. Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. You're right. It is awesome to see uh, Mickey and Minnie in that state of just like scrapping, trying to make ends meet, just do what they can. Uh, the first story with Donald, uh, and he's <laughs> first of all, why are they eating turkey? Kyle, I had that written down. I had that written down that that feels wrong, that ducks are eating turkey. (laughs) Also, Donald says, if I eat any more turkey, I'm going to need new clothes, says a duck only wearing a shirt. (laughs) 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 Only wearing a shirt. Um, Goofy was in prime goof display during this one. Uh, It was nice to see this version of Mickey uh, not mean Mickey like he was to Pluto. Not the like current chaotic Mickey like that's currently running uh, on Disney Plus and Wonderful World of of Mickey Mouse and all that stuff. That Mickey is crazy. I love him. I love it. He's nuts. But it was so nice to see the like calm Mickey once again. That kind of classic smooth calm Mickey. Um, and that scene, that vignette had a ton of like Disney history references, which I thought was fun. Um, you have Mortimer return. Mortimer was like the first name of Mickey before Mickey became Mickey. And then uh, there's a reference to the Firehouse, Firehouse 5 plus 2. Um, the band that's performing is that. So that's cool. And also we get to see Calm Mickey steal kids snowboard. So what gets better than that? Uh, end of the day, Chris, it's it's so much better than the ultimate Christmas present. Everything is. So uh, I'm with you. Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas is going to move on here. Macaulay, what are your thoughts? Um, agreed, agreed. I think also um, a fun little Easter egg that we haven't talked about yet, um, but it's coming up in the bracket, is that Angelique from Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas, is an ornament uh, in the Goofy vignette, which I caught right away. Oh. Um, yes, fun fact. Um, but that one is far superior. I think that with um, uh, Ultimate Christmas Present, it's just, it was a tough watch. It really was. Um yeah, it's it's a no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move down the bracket to the number five seed, A Christmas Carol versus the number 12 seed, Winnie the Pooh, A Very Merry Pooh Year. Uh, we'll start with The Christmas Carol. I remember when this came out, and it was like a big deal because they had uh, released this movie initially only in IMAX and like Ultra 3D. Like it, it was in those theaters before it came to normal theaters, uh, I never ended up seeing it. So this was the first time that I saw it. Um, I'll give them props for trying like, to push the, the bar of what computer-generated graphics can do. Um, but it felt like they could have just done a live-action Christmas Carol at that point. It felt like I was watching a two-hour cutscene in a video game. Yes, I felt like I was playing Xbox 360. Yeah, it was like very impressive graphics, but there is this like uncanny valley that we kept hitting and it was really bothering me the entire time. So this is just straightforward, just a Christmas Carol. Um, 
it was Jim Carrey and Jim Carrey's face was <laughs> computerly <laughs> animated and like you can watch some of the extras on Disney Plus of how they like did this and they Jim already had to like act this out anyways they like dotted up his face and he had to act out this movie just make it it's so much work so I went to look to see if like this movie lost money because it must have like cost a ton to create which it did but it actually profited it pretty nicely so people went to see it and wanted to see what this was all about but I don't think we hear about it anymore you know since that time what was the how closely was this released? I want to say probably after Polar Express because that was kind of like the vibe I got when watching this. It's both by Image Movers. It's the same animators. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think it was, f- I like think it was five years yeah. after Polar Express. That had to have something to do with it then. Like there have been so many live action. Christmas Carol has already been done. Polar Express was just a huge popular hit we got to try and like do something in that vein. And they landed on Christmas Carol. That's yeah. What I and think. they, and they poached the animation company to do it. So that's absolutely probably what it was. Uh, and this movie was also just really dark and intense. Like every scary part was like scary. Like it wasn't, they weren't holding back. Uh, everything was very dark. Uh, when the ghost of Christmas past comes to visit. So scary. Like, terrifying. Literally, he is Voldemort, or she is Voldemort on the back of Professor Quirrell's head in uh, Harry Potter. Um, like, it is so yes. creepy. It's, it's scary. so scary. And <laughs> it's so children. suspenseful. Like, hearing the steps coming up the stairs felt like an eternity. I was like, this is, this is scary. So, yeah, it's super slow it really was just like even the even the beginning like when he's walking through the town like it just took forever to actually i mean obviously the credits were rolling but i was like oh come on you got to be a little faster than that we, we have to keep kids attention yeah here. and they were obviously flexing the technology like a lot of it was just them flexing yeah. like look at how sick this is because at the time absolutely it would have been uh but looking back on it now it's a little uneasy and a little unnerving uh, when you watch it. But the story, I did I did actually kind of like how dark it was. And it was just something different from every other movie on this list, which was so cherry and fun and heartwarming. And this was just like cold. Let's talk about Winnie the Pooh. Very Merry Pooh year. This is another one of those packaged kind of films. And in fact, this was one in which they took a segment from an earlier holiday special and just slapped it on in there. Uh, it's it's funny how different the animation styles were, uh, and you can kind of see that cut off. So Pooh has a gift for Piglet, and Pooh doesn't want Piglet to find it, so Pooh hides it in, of course, a honeypot. Uh Pooh walking around his house makes me realize just how much of like a hoarder this bear is. There are pots everywhere. And when he opens up that closet and how many honey pots there are, for somebody that like never seems to actually have honey and is always hunting for it, like clean out clean out the house there, Pooh. I think you'd be able to hide uh, Piglet's toy a little bit easier. And of course, we all knew when he was going to forget where that present was. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and in the second mini story, I have written down, Pooh confronts his ad- addiction. <laughs> because it's basically what it was. Uh and uh Rabbit like is threatening to 
move away because he just can't take the chaos that is his friend group. And so his friends think that they need to change. And really all they do is like take on their like alternate selves, their their anti-selves. And so like Pooh is going through this like addiction withdrawal and like is depressed and is like very Eeyore-esque. Eeyore flips the switch and is annoyingly happy. Tigger can't bounce and is also very depressed and not knowing what to do. And uh, and Piglet and, and and takes on the anxiety that Piglet once had. And it's just like, it's just so silly. It's so silly. And then, of course, the story at the end or the more at the end is like you, everyone is special in their own way. That's what makes everyone great. This family is great because of all these personalities, which I thought was nice. I don't know that I would watch either of these again in my holiday lineup to be honest (laughs) only because i'm finding that when i'm watching these packages i'm wanting to leave at the end of like the first story and then to like have to be reinvested in a second one isn't super great for me but like i also don't want to go through a christmas carol again and just feel uncomfortable for an hour and a half uh so i think that just because like there is another Christmas Carol in this bracket that I think is a lot better than this one. And the the uh, there's some really fun bits in the Winnie the Pooh one. And I can kind of ignore the fact that this package is a little jarring in the way that they transition from one to another. Uh, I'm going to move Winnie the Pooh on here past uh, a Christmas Carol. I got one question about Winnie the Pooh, Mary Pooh year. Since when is Christopher Robin British? Because I feel like he did not always have that accent. I feel like when I heard him speaking, I was like, something sounds off. But like, what is it? I didn't actually make the connection that he has an accent in this. So uh, so you're right on that. Yeah. I mean, I recently revisited the original when we were talking about Pooh's Honey in the food bracket. And he did not have that accent. So he must have picked it up. At some point in the last 40 years, Christopher Robin spent some time overseas. Um. (laughs) Just like how you thought that no pants Dewey or Donald or whoever said that line about uh, needing new clothes, I found no pants Winnie the Pooh with like a winter hat and scarf and jacket to be really funny. (laughs) Dude, that's the coldest part of your body, man. Like you got to cover that thing up. A couple of funny comparisons for Mary Pooh year. First one is Arrested Development. There's a moment in season one when Job tries to dramatically throw a letter into the ocean and it ends up just like falling next to him. And in this Winnie the Pooh like throws a letter into the wind and like that's all I could think about in that moment was like how if you throw a letter, it is not going to do what it just did on the screen just now. Like the wind is not just going to like take it. Right. It's just going to fall down. Also, Winnie goes total Jack Skellington in Mary Pooh year where he takes over the Christmas holiday and uh, tries to be his own Santa and gives everyone terrible gifts. That's right. There is a lesson in Mary Pooh year and Kanga is the one who articulates it when she says, our memories are the real gifts of Christmas. So many of these Disney Christmas movies are about, it's not all about presents. Uh, And this one I think really does that theme well because you see people really wanting presents. Pooh is trying to hook everyone up with some honey. 
and <laughs> he ends up like giving everyone terrible gifts and like everyone just goes crazy and like oh i want two snowshoes oh i want like eight carrots or whatever so i think that i think this does that well the jim carrey christmas carol i was really really into uh hmm. yes the cg is kind of weird has not really aged well but a christmas carol is a really dark story and yeah. i think this did it perfectly for being a disney version of a christmas carol like jim carrey is probably my favorite comedic actor of all time i grew up watching dumb and dumber ace ventura ace ventura 2 the mask all of those movies like on a loop every single day and so He's capable of doing some crazy stuff. And he really dials it back a lot for his portrayal of Ebenezer Scrooge. And honestly, I'm kind of happy for him because he's publicly said that he experienced a lot of depression, like in the peak of his comedy days, uh, like his his like Grinch days when he felt like he was just being taken advantage of by like uh, the writers and directors and stuff, just expecting him to be this like zany way too over the top guy. So um, I'm happy that he kind of got this slightly more dramatic role under his belt uh, during that era of his acting career. So uh, I enjoyed the performance. Ultimately, y'all, I would definitely watch Disney's Christmas Carol again. I see it in my Christmas rotation, to be honest. Uh, I think all of that scariness, that darkness, that grittiness works for me. And it keeps the story nice and focused. It keeps the tone on track. So I'm advancing... Christmas Carol over May Poo year. So Macaulay, you're breaking another tie. Oh, okay. Um, so Christmas Carol is a cautionary tale, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is someone who's going through realizing that it's not all about money. It's not all about, you know, material objects. It's about family and friends and, you know, warmth and things like that. But there were so many scary things in this. <laughs> Ignorance and want. Like, if you remember them, like, being shown under... Uh, Ghost of Christmas Present was so scary. And for a Disney movie, I can't go with the scary like this. I think it's too much. I think, uh, I think Winnie the Pooh, like we love the characters, you know, it's very soft, but it's for kids. It's people, you know, it's the characters that we love and I'm going to give it to Winnie the Pooh. All right, let's move over to the other side of the bracket where we have the number two seed, the Muppet Christmas Carol versus number 15, I'll Be Home. For Christmas. So let's talk about another version of the Christmas Carol. Uh, obviously, I just said I liked the Jim Carrey Disney's Christmas Carol version. The Muppet Christmas Carol, to me, kind of felt neither here nor there. Um, it's got the Muppets. Are either of you Muppets fans? I love the Muppets. Yes. Yeah. Like, not like hardcore. Not, yeah. Not like hardcore in which like I'm... You know, I've seen every single movie and I'm obsessed with, you know, the characters, but like, I like the Muppets. Yeah. So like, that's kind of where I'm at, where like, I enjoy when I catch them in something, but like, I don't know every single one of them. I don't know every one of their traits. I pretty much only know like Miss Piggy is mean and, and that's it. Like, do you guys have a favorite Muppet? Pepe. Which one's that? I don't even know he's who that prawn. is. He's the prawn. He's the prawn. I don't think oh. he was in this one. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. He's, he's just so funny and sarcastic and brash. Like, I love that character. 
Um, I think either Beaker or the Swedish chef. (laughs) (laughs) Mine mine is definitely Beaker. I love that dude. Um, So I think this version of the Christmas Carol, this could be a garbage take. This could be completely wrong. But I think that to enjoy it to its maximum extent, you have to know a Christmas Carol very well and you have to know the Muppets very well. Because to me, it reads kind of like, not a parody, but like a semi like jokey telling of the story where what you're doing is being like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe Miss Piggy is Mrs. Cratchit. Like that is so perfect because I know Miss Piggy and I know Christmas Carol and it's it's awesome. I love it. It's yes, so funny. You need to know the characters and their personalities uh, of the Muppets to like fully appreciate and love who each character like was you know i thought yeah i agree with that take so i'm not particularly like intimately familiar with the christmas the original source material christmas carol or the muppets so i kind of was like trying to get into the story and like the darker aspects of like you know like Macaulay was saying, the cautionary tale but then like all of a sudden i'm interrupted by like a super funny muppet thing that happens uh so it was a little bit like disjointed to me in terms of like tone that being um, said can i tell you oh wait oh. oh i was gonna say a, a fun fact that i learned when i was looking up um is that michael kane said that he was going to play the role as if he was working at like the royal shakespeare company so he was never gonna wink he was never gonna do anything like muppety and he was going to play scrooge as the utterly dramatic role as if there were no puppets around him. And I mean, like, yeah. that's dedication. Like, you yeah. are so focused that you're not even going to let the puppets, and the, you know, interfere and mess you yes. up, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, there's a lot of Scrooges out there. And Michael Caine did an amazing job with his version of the character. Was- I do love Patrick Stewart as well. Um, but Michael Caine did a great job. There are plenty of really funny Muppet moments in this version of Christmas Carol. You've got a ton of songs. I don't know that I'm totally sold on the music. I don't hate it, but like uh, maybe I'd have to listen to it more. It was just kind of okay. A couple of highlights for me were the singing vegetables and the singing little tiny mouse family. (laughs) When the one's like... What is this? Uh, where I wrote it down somewhere. Oh, the ones like, please, I want some cheese. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also really enjoyed Gonzo and Rizzo as the narrator. Yeah, it didn't really take anything away for me. Like, almost it helped me like understand the story a little bit better because, like I said, I'm not a big Christmas Carol person, so yeah, I didn't mind them so much. They had a couple funny moments as well, like when they lit Rizzo's tail on fire, or when he realized he could just walk through the fence instead of having climbed over it. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> this movie is beloved by so many people. The most recent person to come out as a huge fan of this movie, Chance the Rapper, huge Muppet Christmas Carol fan. Really? Today he tweeted, I guess he's been tweeting like a thread of Christmas movies he's watching and he dropped Muppet Christmas Carol in that thread today. So I was like, let's get him on the show. Yep. (laughs) So Muppet Christmas Carol is going up against I'll Be Home for Christmas which is not a decom, but it feels kind of decommy in just like its silliness at times. There's definitely a much higher production value. You've got JTT, 
Jonathan Taylor Thomas in the lead role of Jake. So here's something that like I do not get. Very beginning, they open up on the exterior of it looks like the Getty uh, Villa or something like that. McCall, you know what it is. I know what it is. So it's it's um it's Mount St. Mary's in Brentwood. It's a I think it's all women's college. I have to maybe hmm. check that. But it is also the school in the OC. It is Harbor <laughs> High School. Fun uh, fact. Nice. I recognized it right away. And so like the location tag on the shot is Palisades College. Um which Palisades accurate college I don't know, because Jonathan Taylor Thomas looks like he's 14 years old. Um, there are lockers in the hallway, and there's apparently a huge bullying problem on campus. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I don't know anyone who's getting bullied in college anymore. So, like, in my head, they're at a high school. They're at, like, a boarding school or something, because it's like just didn't really feel super college to me. And, like, even the premise itself, like, not wanting to go home for your winter break or for Christmas, something I can't really relate to. I mean, we all went to UCSB. It's a fun place to go to school. Did y'all feel that way when like finals were over and we had a few weeks where you're like, no, I'm staying in Isla Vista. No, no, (laughs) not at all. I was going to go home. (laughs) Like I think a really important part of every Christmas movie is relatability. Um, And, and so like just, just the premise at the very beginning, I'm already like, I don't like sympathize with this guy. Like I've never been in this person's shoes. So it's kind of tough for me to get through. We got little baby, Jessica Biel, who Mm -hmm. does a pretty good job. I mean, this is like the beginning of her acting career, not the very beginning, but it's certainly uh, very early on. Kyle, we often talk about the highest Disney characters in Disney history. And I feel like we got to, include in that conversation nolan from this movie who is the guy who drives the van that picks up jake <laughs> off the side of the road it's so, it's he so like, funny he cannot remember the conversations they're having he can hardly formulate a sentence at one point he's double fisting a hamburger and just a tomato slice <laughs> yeah that he picked up off the floor after hitting uh jake with his van that's how he hit him because he was reaching down for the tomato slice and as they go deeper into their Santa scam, his elf name is Snow Puff. Emphasis on the puff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part of this movie is the Santa 5K. It's pretty so ridiculous. It, it honestly looks kind of fun. Like, I might want to throw together a Santa 5K next year. <laughs> but it's weird that, like, there's not a single person in this town who is capable of running three miles except the mayor and JTT and the Kenyan guy who like <laughs> is wearing a bicycle helmet. So technically he would be disqualified from the event, but um, I laughed out loud at that. So ultimately this is a, a road film. It's just like a Christmas road film, like planes, trains, and automobiles or the mom's storyline in home alone. It's kind of light. It's pretty obvious. It's only going one place. It's not, to me, revealing a whole lot of like universal truths about the holiday. It's a f- fun watch, maybe the first time. I don't know if I'm going to add this into my rotation. It's not like a hard no from me, but um, it's not one of my new faves. I've only seen them up at Christmas Carol a couple times. I could see it growing on me. So 
I'm going to advance Muppet Christmas Carol just for the sake of like room for improvement. I'll Be Home for Christmas is going to lead off my holiday watch list every single no, year. No, it's not. No, it's I not. I loved this movie. No. I loved it. Oh my gosh. From the moment that this thing opens and we get into Ali's uh, dorm room and there's a Lisa Leslie jersey, a Smash Mouth poster on the wall, I was like, oh, you've got, you've got me. You've got me here. Oh my, oh my gosh. It was, this was, you're right. It was like a very classic road film, but it had that like Christmas, you know, put the selfishness away sort of storyline. And I enjoyed that. I, you know, I always talk about like how a lot of these older movies like give them a cell phone and and they'll be like the plot would be finished <laughs> this is definitely one of them <laughs> jake if jake had his cell phone and ali had his cell phone communication would have happened everything would have been chill i oh god i just love this movie i thought it was hilarious that like how outrageous the the um, idea was that Jake's dad had to bribe him with a car in order to get him back home for the holidays and just being like that was something that his dad was willing to just do. Um, I enjoyed that like in this in this movie, uh, Ali was like not going to put up with any racism, any homophobia, any sexism. Like she was a strong character in a, a movie in which she could have been more of like a damsel and so that i thought that was awesome about it <laughs> nolan my favorite nolan line is jake is telling nolan like the whole situation and like how he he saw ali and the other guy's car and he needs to catch up to them and nolan goes well that two time and ho <laughs> and i was like whoa <laughs> you just let it fly i was like oh we're watching what are we watching right now (laughs) he just went for it my favorite character in this movie is the extremely stressed out bus driver that uh that jake is able to divert off course in order to get to that like little german christmas market to find uh ali and the and the other dude he was just so like high strung in a movie in which like everyone Jake met was not. So it it was he just stood out completely. You get a little pre 9-11 travel with uh, Jake just being able to like stow away in a dog carrier uh, in the in the cargo mm-hmm. hold of a plane to get home. And then you have the heartwarming ending. Uh, there's some silliness surrounding like Jake stealing the sleigh and then the parade showing up and <laughs> the two guy being like, you stole my sleigh, man. I just thought it was like such a, a pleasant surprise of a movie. I like this is for sure in my holiday rotation. I'm a I'll be home for Christmas, Stan. You can put me down as that. Up against some up at Christmas Carol, though. And when I said that there is a better version of the Christmas Carol on here, this was that one. Uh, you asked if we were fans. Yeah, I'm a fan of the Muppets, but like, I definitely don't know, you know, I don't know the canon of the Muppets, but this was them in like their prime Muppetness in this movie. And I like when they're that. Yeah, I, it's hard because I freaking love I'll Be Home for Christmas, but I don't think that it's better than a Muppet Christmas Carol and the classic story that that is and being able to take that twist um and make a a story that basically everybody knows and add the quirkiness of the muppets and 
you know, they're able to make fun of themselves with like Rizzo playing just Rizzo. Like suddenly this isn't a movie in which the Muppets took play, like lived in this time. It was like, obviously they were putting on a show and Rizzo broke that fourth wall for us, uh, which just kind of leads into the quirkiness of, of the Muppets. So prime Muppets, prime uh, Christmas Carol. I'm with you. I'm not super sold on the songs in this one, but uh you have to have songs with the Muppets. So as much as it tears my heart out to knock JTT off this bracket, I'm going to have to do it and agree with you and move on Muppets Christmas Carol. Macaulay, what are your thoughts on that choice there? You know, hearing hearing how much you also loved I'll Be Home for Christmas, I, it was the last movie that I watched um, while watching all of these movies. And I was shocked at how much i really enjoyed it like i probably hadn't seen it in forever jtt had a poster of him on my wall growing up i love him like i was actually shocked though at his character's journey like how much how much fun it was like watching him like you know overcome all these crazy obstacles and things like that um you also end with an in sync song in the end credits which was like so awesome um I I definitely think that Muppets Christmas Carol is the one to advance just because it also is that classic tale of a Christmas uh, tale. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly, I'm probably going to add I'll Be Home for Christmas into my Christmas movie watch list also. But fun fact with this one, I realized that it is produced by Mandeville, which is a production company that I interned at. And I found out that I got the internship while waiting in line for California Screaming with Chris. <laughs> so that also, I was like, oh, full wow, circle, full, full circle, full circle there, full circle. Um, but Muppets all the way. Cool. All right, let's talk a little bit about the next matchup. It's number seven, Noel versus number ten, the Santa Claus Two. Uh, start with Noel. This was one of the original, I believe, Disney Plus releases. Like when they launched Disney Plus, I believe that Noel was the promoted, like, original content that came along with it. Like Mandalorian and Noel, which is such a funny two things to promote. One that is, like, wildly successful and considered critically, like, great. And then Noel. <laughs> Don't forget Noel. live action Lady and the Tramp. Live action Lady of the Tramp got swept. They're they're the middle child of the of the releases there. We hear a lot about the great Mandalorian. <laughs> we hear about the awful Noel. Noel is not good. First of all, first things first, uh, screw Snowcone. I hate that freaking whoa, 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 reindeer. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm I hate down. that character. He was kind of the highlight for I me. I hated him. <laughs> no. It was like we all know my issues with cute sidekicks. We know it. Yeah. I hate when they're just put there to be cute and adorable. And the and the uh, effects aren't even good. He's not even done well. It's so jarring when he's up like next to Anna Kendrick when she first calls him. Also, like, I don't know if I love Anna Kendrick or like don't like Anna Kendrick. It's so weird because like she plays the same character just always just in different like, you know, this really down to earth girl who like you know is is slightly different from everyone around her and is like the way she like speaks in this movie is not reading lines it 
she like tried to really make it conversational like when she first calls snow cone and it just like it felt too, like try to try hard you know to me uh, a lot of that and also just for how heavy hitting this cast was it like nothing really stood out with like billy eichner and bill Hader. like everyone was just kind of like meh the whole movie was just meh chris we get to f- visit phoenix arizona let's go it brought me it brought me to spring trainings which i was not always a fan of because spring trainings were always too hot and like disastrous hangovers <laughs> yep the geography they lay out is really interesting because it's mostly super inaccurate um, yes <laughs> the mall exterior shots were shot in georgia and like the sleigh goes to like kind of land over chase field and then they're like at an outlet mall which there's one in glendale but that's not at all close to chase field but it's actually georgia where they're filming it and then someone calls it desert ridge which is in like scottsdale way north on the tippy top of the 101 loop um but then like there randomly is one shot of the actual desert ridge mall outside of barnes and noble when they when they sleep in the sleigh so like my phoenix geography when i was watching that was like swirling in my head yeah absolutely um along with like them setting this in phoenix but shooting a lot of it in like georgia is that the green screen technology was just so obvious uh when they're driving along in the car and like you know how you can always tell in like 90s sitcoms when folks are driving in a car and like it's just green screens around them yeah yeah it was like it was brutally obvious in this movie uh all of the effects were just brutally obvious (laughs) <laughs> I say in my notes, this is the same platform that funds the Mandalorian and uses those like massive screen technologies, but couldn't figure out green screens for Noel. It just, ugh, I don't know. This felt like Disney's attempt to capture the magic of Elf, uh, where you have this like fish out of water character, which was Buddy's dad in Elf and is the detective here in Noel. And like that kind of turning them into a believer the non-believer being turned into either a believer in Christmas or at least in like, you know, that t- changing their ways from like cold to warmth. We see that a lot in holiday movies and that was like this. So it felt very obvious that Disney was trying to do their version of Elf with these like comedic actors and capturing that. And it just did not land for me like uh, like Elf is and Elf does. Elf is great. Santa Claus 2 is not only jarring because it takes like the time frame between the two movies is like eight years or something like that. Uh, So obviously technologies have changed. They full send on computer generated uh, graphics and everything, like everything. Like in the first Santa Claus, which we haven't really been able to talk about, uh, the reindeer are like these animatronic reindeers. And then suddenly there are these like computer generated reindeers with these like stupidly obnoxious personalities in Santa Claus 2. Uh, it it was just like, why are we doing this? I feel like the Santa Claus had such a like solid storyline, solid acting. Uh, the effects were like not great, but that's also what makes that movie kind of great now. Uh, but like... Everything was just exaggeratedly stupid in the Santa Claus 2. And none, it wasn't in the first one. It was actually like heartfelt and guided. 
I just couldn't take one anything seriously, obviously, and then two want to continue watching. The one thing that saves this movie just from me saying like it should never exist is the Molly Shannon scene. Yes. Let's go. <laughs> oh yes. my gosh. That was like the hardest I laughed on this bracket. It was so funny. Um she's great and just like that's that character that she plays, she plays often and it's just it never gets old for me. I need everyone to watch that scene on YouTube but don't watch the Santa Claus too cuz it's bad. Uh, so these two movies like matched up against each other like you're gonna be very disappointed in the Santa Claus 2 because it has the Santa Claus to compare it to um, Noel I think that most people will find enjoyable and it's a cute movie um, it just wasn't very solid for me but it's much better than the Santa Claus 2 so I'm moving Noel on past the Santa Claus 2 in this matchup I think the biggest issue for me with Santa Claus 2 is that it kind of loses its Christmas spirit. Um, I think it's a fine premise for a sequel. Like these characters that we already know, they've, they already were developed really well in the first movie. Get, they get a new challenge and that's Scott Calvin finding a Mrs. Claus. But like in terms of like Christmas morals or lessons or themes that come out of Santa Claus 2, it's kind of the same as Santa Claus. It's like older people still finding the Christmas spirit. And you see that in like Charlie, who's starting to not believe because he's a big kid now. And like the teachers at the staff party, like opening presents again and like convincing the principal that Santa's real. It's like, you already did this theme. You did it in the first one. So like, why do you mm -hmm. have to do it again? So Ultimately, Santa Claus 2 comes off as just like a super plot-heavy movie. One little fun fact I wanted to point out was the voice actor who plays Chet the Reindeer. Can you tell what other character they do voice for, cartoon character? Was it? Oh, man. No. So I don't have her name on hand, but she does Phil and Lil in Rugrats. Oh, wow. Wow. And also Kanga in most of the modern Pooh stuff. And also like 600 other different cartoon <laughs> characters. She has so many credits. It's insane. Uh, but I thought that was a little funny thing. Also, uh, shout out to Michael Dorn, who plays the Sandman, as well as uh, Mr. Worf in Star Trek The Next Generation. Love that guy. Yep. Um, I'm advancing Noel on. Not because Santa Claus 2 is bad, but because Noel is awesome. And I love Noel, and I want to talk about it next episode. So I'm advancing Noel. Santa Claus 2 is staying behind. Macaulay, thoughts on that? Um, well, Santa Claus 2, or what I would also call it 90 Day Fiance, um, <laughs> is just really, really tough to, to just go with that story. I also have like questions of like, why at this point does he need to find Mrs. Claus? What happened to the old Mrs. Claus? Like of the woman that was married to the Santa <laughs> that fell off the roof? Like what happened to her? She died too. Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, I think that uh, there's a couple things that just don't really work for me with, with Carol's storyline of just knowing him for a few days and all that stuff. Um, another end credit uh, shout out is that it is Santa Claus Lane by Hilary Duff. 
is one of the songs in the end credits. So <laughs> Hilary Duff comes back again. Um, as much as I'm not in love with Noel, I think that Noel should advance over Santa Claus too, though. Here's another point from the Santa Claus too. Do you remember in the first one where uh, Scott Calvin walks into that meeting after like starting to transform into Santa and points out like Santa would never ride in a tank. He would never be in a tank. And this movie opens up with a full military mode like scene in which like Santa very much would be in a tank and basically was <laughs> like, all right, come on now. Okay, y'all, let's move on to our next matchup. It is the number three seed, The Nightmare Before Christmas versus number 14, The Santa Claus 3. Y'all, I'm going to make this super quick. Nightmare Before Christmas is a Halloween movie. It is not a Christmas movie, and it does not belong on this bracket. We broke it down a little bit in our Halloween bracket. I'll kind of like briefly go over why it's not a Christmas movie. It's because this movie comes down to Halloween prevailing over Christmas in like a very, very explicit way. In a lot of these Christmas movies, you see the Christmas holiday threatened, like, we gotta save Christmas. And Nightmare Before Christmas is, we gotta save Halloween. And Halloween gets saved at the end of it. It kind of seems like it's, we gotta save Christmas, because, like, Jack Skellington goes crazy, and the human world, like, has to shoot him down and stuff. But, like, between the lines is, Halloween's in jeopardy, because Jack Skellington is on some kind of crazy power trip and is trying to become Santa Claus. And so at the end, he has that moment of realization where he's like, he's going to make Halloween even better next year. I know I kind of said that like a key theme of some Christmas movies is like finding yourself. And Jack Skellington certainly finds himself in Nightmare Before Christmas. I just think like the fact that that moment of finding himself results in Halloween being the holiday that he chooses makes it uh, a Halloween movie and not a Christmas movie. I really, really don't like Santa Claus 3, but I am disqualifying Nightmare Before Christmas out of this bracket, so I'm advancing Santa Claus 3. I was going to say that uh, there's definitely the theme of like finding yourself in Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas, but he definitely finds himself as a Halloween boy. <laughs> so it's like how, <laughs> how like holiday, like Christmas is that. So yeah, Santa Claus 3 is awful <laughs> it is not a good movie um but i think i'm gonna side with you that nightmare nightmare before christmas is much more of a halloween movie with just christmas elements to further the point that halloween is the superior holiday for that for our character in that so i'm with you macaulay did you uh were you gonna hopefully have nightmare move on here I know because I agree with you that on October 1st as the beginning of my celebration of Halloween, I will watch Nightmare Before Christmas because it is a Halloween movie. What I will say, though, is that at Disneyland, when Haunted Mansion becomes Haunted Mansion Holiday, I do love it. I love going like at Christmas time to be able to go on that version of the ride. Um, but it's a lesson to stay in your lane, Jack. You're the king of Halloween, so you don't you don't belong in the Christmas bracket. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up this first round episode with our final matchup. It is the number six seed, Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas versus number 11, Babes in Toyland. So Chris, it's interesting because you brought this up at the very beginning of this episode that like 
Mary Poppins isn't necessarily a Christmas movie at all, um, but you enjoy watching it during the holiday season, and it it just feels kind of like a holiday movie because you've established this kind of tradition around it. Very similar to Babes in Toyland. Like, we don't get a ton of Christmas vibes until, like, the toy shop, and that's at the very end of this musical. A lot of elements of this musical don't hold up, as I brought up in the beginning of this bracket. Uh, there's an entire song about how dumb Annette Funicello is uh, and how she can't add. Yes, there is. <laughs> or do math or do anything on her own. Um, there's a lot to of like... To be specific, like, it's about calculating the interest on her mortgage and being able to pay that back, which I probably couldn't calculate either. No, but... Yes, but... In, in there's a line where she literally says, "Why are we so dumb?" I can't do and the I sum. To cry. <laughs> why? Yeah. Why are we so dumb? I cannot do the sum. Like, are you? Oh, come on. There's a lot of themes of like, like Annette's this like damsel in distress, and it's just something to be won and a prize to be had. It's the themes are not great in this movie or in this musical. I really enjoyed the uh, bumbling henchmen and the performances of them in this. Uh, the practical effects in this movie are incredible. They're just so fun and so creative, and they make it feel like you are watching a stage performance. From the moment that like, literally the curtains open and there's this big village opening ensemble number, and it's like it's on a stage and they're dancing around in this little village to like, when they're trying to knock out um, our main man lead and they hit him over the head with a hammer and he sinks into the ground, which is obviously just like a, a hidden platform. It's so good. I just, I love that stuff. So I really enjoyed that uh, a ton and really looked forward to like, what's the next visual gag? What's the next practical gag that we're going to see? I also love Edwin and everything that Edwin does. And I really hope that that's like an unproblematic take. And like Edwin was actually like a really nice man who had no issues because who knows with like actors in this time. And I'm really afraid of it being skewed. So I didn't look up anything about Edwin. <laughs> so so keep it to yourselves. Let me be uh, ignorant and love Edwin. I was Edwin, thinking the course, same thing about uh, Ray Bolger the entire time. I was like, man, this guy's <laughs> so good. But I was like, man, I have no idea. It was the Wild West back then on these movie sets. Who knows what might have happened? And Edwin is the voice of the Mad Hatter. He's in Mary Poppins in the in the laughing scene. He has a very memorable voice and does a ton of stuff within like the Disney zeitgeist. Oh, I love the... So going back to kind of like practical effects, the when the all of our characters get shrunk down and the sets that they are existing in are just big sets <laughs> i loved that and it, that it wasn't like them in front of a green screen and then popped on there were a couple moments of that but for the most part they were like real sets of just enlarged prop items and then we start getting into like what makes this i guess a holiday movie is the like idea of the toys and really like, I think, in my opinion, Chris, is that we see this as a holiday movie because the toy soldiers show up in the Christmas parades at Disneyland. And like, otherwise, Edwin is just a toy maker. And it was like, and I guess he does say like, we have this, it's a countdown to Christmas and we have to make them in time for Christmas. But like, this movie's plot 
didn't focus around that at all. This was, it was just like literally the last 20 minutes of this movie was the toy shop stuff. It felt to me like two separate movies. It was like the first hour of them doing this thing. And once Jerry Sands or whatever the guy's name is, like they get back together, like that's one movie. And then the other movie is when they venture off into the Toyland. Like that's movie number two. Exactly. Um, also with the problematic stuff is the, the gypsies scene. Uh, Nina had brought up like the depiction of gypsies in that way was probably not great. And I was like, yeah, it's interesting because Disney plus has gone the route of like, now we watch a like 10 second disclaimer before we watch a movie with some sort of like outdated cultural reference, but that wasn't here. So I I'd be interested in like in the next five years or whatever, if we see that for the depiction of gypsies in that scene. It's up against Beauty and the Beast, and this was at that time where they were making the sequels uh, in hopes that they had an idea, and if they didn't, they just said, keep doing it, and we'll just release it straight to video, and like you don't have any money to do it, <laughs> but also test out computer graphics. <laughs> so bad. So um, bad. <laughs> Uh, so apparently this takes place in the time of the first movie when uh, Belle like starts falling in love with the beast and they like have that snowball fight. It's like that winter <laughs> and the, the characters who are now no longer the props uh, are retelling the story to us. Um, it was impressive that at least they got the returning actors to voice again and that Paige O'Hara did her darned best to sing really bad songs. We kept asking like, where's Lumiere's feather duster lady? And why does he just have all of these gals in different parts of the, so of the castle so that he's many. just revisiting all these like old flames? <laughs> and Lumiere literally treats women as objects. Yeah, literally throughout, <laughs> throughout like that came to light in this, in this movie. The fact that like the castle gets split in half and this is supposed to take place like during Beauty and the Beast, during the movie, I don't remember a castle being split in half or the remnants of a castle be having been split in half during that movie. And apparently that was a major event that took place uh, in the Belle's time as a, a captive in this castle before uh, she freed the beast. And also like the fact that this is supposed to be happening during the, the first movie there were some pretty like traumatic events that took place for us to like not hear about it in the first movie. Like Belle straight up almost yeah. dies in this movie. And like we just didn't hear about that in the original movie. <laughs> I was like, uh, come on. <laughs> so here, Chris, for me, like I get nothing out of Beauty and the Beast and Enchanted Christmas. Babes in Toyland at least injects some Christmas to to get it just over the edge but there's too many issues that i have with beating the beast to move it on uh so babes in toyland moves on and see like has another day to live but it's by default a lot of these on this side of the bracket are by default I really wanted to love Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas, just because I think that world is pretty well developed and like pretty enjoyable to be in but like when I think about this movie, I think about Fife and like the um, Forte guy, the the organ, just the bad CGI, like unexplainably evil. What's his motive? He wants to like prevent the beast from falling in love so they never have to become human again because humanity's yeah. overrated. Um, yeah. So basically, he's just 
trying to die because right. like you lose consciousness. <laughs> like <laughs> I got to tip my cap to them for attempting the villain song in like such kind of a short sequel movie. Mm-hmm. Don't fall in love. It was almost like a Mother Gothel type thing. I did not enjoy this at all. I will not watch it again. Babes in Toyland, I I really want to break down some more aspects of it on the next episode. I enjoyed the first half of it thoroughly. So I'm advancing Babes in Toyland. Macaulay, that does it for our first round here. Uh, What are your thoughts on all this so far? Um, I think that we have a few really strong contenders going into the top eight that I'm really excited to talk about. Um, and a few that we, you know, we can say goodbye to for sure. They won't be missed. Cool. Well, to remind everyone where we're going to be when we pick it up next week, we've got the number one seed, the Santa Claus versus number eight, the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. The number four seed, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas versus number 12, Winnie the Pooh, A Very Merry Pooh Year. Number two seed, The Muppet Christmas Carol versus number seven, Noel. And the number 14, Santa Claus 3 versus number 11, Babes in Toyland. Kyle, I don't know. This uh, this got weird, I feel like. It did get weird. Uh, I think that's the only way to do a holiday bracket is to get weird. And this Elite 8 sets us up perfectly to have some conversations that will most certainly get extremely weird. Okay, folks, well... You know how to reach us if you've got something to say about all this. If you've got a rebuttal, strong feelings about Disney holiday movies, you can send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on any of our social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Discord. It's all linked in the description of this podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, if you want to co-host, you want a tie break in 2021, we would love to have you on the show. Also, don't forget, we've got stickers that we would love to share with y'all. Um, you can check out any of our social media channels or email us if you're interested in, in picking one of those up. Well, present for a special someone. But until next time, till next week, folks. Go totally yuletide, taking a sleigh ride. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>